welcome to another episode of Dog Talk. And the topic of today's episode is canine consent. Yes, you heard that right. Canine consent. And the idea for talking about this came to me by seeing a post in one of the few Facebook groups I'm in. And somebody posted an article about canine consent, which I will put in the notes of this, this um, podcast. Because I think it's good to read. And that sparked my thinking. Because canine consent is, on some level, absolutely ridiculous. But on another level, very important. And that, that contradiction I want to I get to a little bit more. So let's start with the parts where I actually think it's very important to consider what your dog wants. Because there are aspects of our lives with our dogs and our dog's lives where we often push things on them that really don't need to happen. And those, those are things that are for our benefit, they are not necessary and they don't need to be done. And in, in these areas, I'm going to list a couple, I think we can absolutely and we should consider what our dogs actually enjoy because they're family members and forcing them into situations and things that they may not handle well or may not be equipped well or do absolutely hate doesn't seem like a good idea. I wouldn't do that to family members. I wouldn't do that to children. So why would I do it to a dog? Now, there are some things where the answer has to be, now we have to do it because I say so, because I know better. Um, it's good for you. <coughs> but then there's many areas where that is not a factor where what I want is not relevant. It just doesn't have to be the overarching, um, the overarching decision that is being made. So let's give a couple of examples. So when you have a visitor come to the house and your dog doesn't like meeting new people all that much, and what he does is your dog walks uh, in the bedroom and the kennel doors open, he lies down on his bed in his kennel or just on his dog bed and just removes himself from the situation and goes there instead of meeting the visitor. That is a perfect response for a dog that doesn't want to meet that person. I mean, he could literally, there's nothing he could do better in that moment. He's like, this is not something I want to do. I'm going to go over here, I'll chill out. I don't have to be interacting with this. Boom, good. Now, if he attacked that person that came through the door, bit him, that's a different story. Now we have to intervene, right? Then becomes a training issue and it's different. But in this case, the dog's making literally the perfect choice. So we should then not go clip a leash on him, drag him in the living room, and have him meet that person. If he clearly has shown us, I don't want to do that. Because dogs are very social animal, per se, and if they don't want to meet someone, we really shouldn't have to meet the person. It's not necessary. Now, if this is someone we're going to live with or someone, a new roommate or a partner or something like that, and you want to get them acquainted and custom, uh, accustomed to that person and start liking that person, and you can start doing this by offering food and sitting down and having the dog explore you and taking your time with it and give the dog time to get to know you so it becomes a harmonious interaction, that would again be within the realms of canine consent. We're doing it on his terms and we're letting him explore. As long as he doesn't bite anybody or does inappropriate things, we can perfectly find, we can go about this. It's perfect, right? It's a great idea to do it this way. So all of these things are fine for canine consent. 
uh, in this context. We can go with what our dog would prefer or how our dog likes to do it. Wonderful thing, nothing wrong with it. When we walk down the street and our dog doesn't like to be touched by random people and people want to touch him because the dog's cute, we don't have to allow that. We should advocate for our dog knowing that he doesn't like that and we should let him have his space. He doesn't have to be touched by everybody all the time. We don't know what they're going to do. Maybe it's a kid, they poke his eye accidentally and then he snaps because he didn't like it in the first place and now they hurt him. And then it's going to be a real problem for us and for our dog. And what that turns into is uh, can be pretty, pretty pr problematic. So giving him that space and allowing him to not meet that person, I think, is a perfectly fine approach. Um, that is not something that must be forced. Not everybody's a social butterfly. Some people like people, some people don't. So we should also accept that with dogs. Some dogs like everybody, some dogs do not like everybody. If they make good choices around not liking everybody, I think we should honor those choices. So in, in terms of something like that, again, I am for letting the dog decide if he makes a good decision that we can live with, even if it's not the decision that we would prefer for him. But he's not biting anybody. He's not barking at anybody. He's not doing anything destructive or inappropriate. He just doesn't want to do this. And he doesn't have to do this. This is not an important thing that he needs to meet this human. Right? So these kinds of things, yeah, we should consider our dog's wishes. We should accept them that he has preferences like everybody else has preferences. Some things he likes, some things he doesn't. We can accept that. We can live with that. And actually, I would advocate for anybody to allow their dog this autonomy, have, have some agency over these kinds of decisions if they make good decisions that are safe for us. If the decision becomes inappropriate, barking, biting, attacking, obviously that changes the equation completely. We can't allow that. Um, but so this is an example of where it's okay. If I want to cuddle with my dog on the sofa and I bite him up and he'd rather lie at my feet, I can accept that too. I think we should. That's nothing wrong with it. Um, my dog Sylvester always liked to cuddle a little bit and then get a couple of feet distance between us and lie next to me. Uh, but he didn't want to cuddle for like an hour. That was not his thing. He would come up, cuddle with me a little bit for a couple of minutes and then take a couple of steps back, lie there and be with me that way. And that's a perfectly fine thing. I've never had an issue with it. But that's what he used to do. That's what he wanted to do and it worked for both of us. So in, I basically allowed him to do it this way. I had no problem doing it any differently and why would I try? So both together and we have the interaction we enjoyed. So that's canine consent. I didn't force myself on him. I didn't like scoot back in and try to like hold him. And I know he didn't like that. So I respected that. It's a fine thing to do with your dog. Um, touching every dog that you see is also not necessary. Yeah? So those are the things where I think canine consent makes a lot of sense. And in that realm, I'm all for it. Let's respect dogs' wishes. Let's not push them into situations they can't handle or don't want to handle. Great. I don't know anybody who does this with a cat. So if you have a visitor come over or visitors come over and the cat hides under the sofa, I don't know anybody who drags the cat out from under the sofa and says, well, the cat has to socialize. The cat has to meet everybody. So we don't do it with cats. We kind of accept it for, for, for cats that that's a bad idea. We should also give our dogs the ability to control that to some degree. There's obviously questions of, is this person going to be here all the time? Do we have to 
get them accustomed or not, but there can be, there can be consent uh, up to a point. Uh, so I mean, one, one last example on this that I had uh, with a client of mine. Her dog was actually a very good dog with a lab shepherd mix, black, beautiful guy. And he, she had a party in her house. And after 20 minutes or so, he'd met everybody, walked around. He walked in the kitchen. He just wanted to be away from everybody. He, so he made the decision, I had enough of this. Then somebody followed him in the kitchen and he felt cornered and nipped them. And then he took off and went upstairs. And obviously that's bad. Right? So that's not something that's good. We can't have that. But it was at that moment when we when the next session we discussed it. And it's just to realize that your dog can handle 15, 20 minutes of a party with like 15 strangers, but he can't handle 25. And he literally made the best choice. He walked away. He just didn't know where to go other than the kitchen. He felt safe there and he wasn't. So it was about showing him, well, go upstairs, go to your crate, go to your room, um, and, and chill out there. And then next time she had a party, that's exactly what she actually did. So after 20 minutes or so, he, um, she took him upstairs and he rested for like an hour. And then later on, she brought him back down and left the door open. He could choose what he wanted to do. And he wanted to come down a little bit more and hang out for another half an hour, 40 minutes later in, 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 the, in the party time with everybody. And it was totally fine. But so these are the kinds of things where we can respect our dog's wishes and also understand their limitations. Obviously, the biting, the nipping is not okay, but it's not a situation that is necessarily on the dog alone. It's not just a misbehavior. This is a whole circumstance where the dog didn't feel another option. So the answer there was to showing him where you can go safely, where nobody will bother you and give him the space to do it because he can't handle more than 20 minutes of a party. So don't force him to do that. That's not going to result in a good outcome. But obviously, there's another side to all of this. And the article I referenced drifted off into cuckoo land. So one of the things that they mentioned there was the dog should be allowed to tap out of training once he becomes bored. The dog should be allowed to end a walk when he doesn't want to walk anymore. The dog should be allowed to not accept anything. So basically, we should not force the dog to do anything they don't want to do. And that's lunacy. So there are, from the top, just like veterinary care, emergencies, training. These are not negotiable with, with the dog. They're not negotiable with people. So if your kid has an accident playing and injures himself and has a cut on his leg needs to be taken care of, it doesn't matter if your child doesn't want to go to the emergency room. This is an emergency. We got to go and have it taken care of. It's not optional in that moment. So even a child, yes, the child has agency. Yes, the child can consent or not consent to certain things, but we as a parent are going to go, you're injured, we're going to go to a hospital. And this is not a discussion topic. I don't care if you want to go. I don't want to go either, but it's got to be done. So when it comes to certain things, consent is not a question that even comes up. It doesn't come up with children. It most definitely doesn't come up with dogs. So if my dog is injured in some way and I need this address, it doesn't matter if he hates the vet. 
We're going to make it happen somehow, and if we have to sedate him, we sedate him, but the vet care will happen because I don't want him to die. So you can't just say the dog has to consent to everything. We don't accept it from a child. We assert our, uh, uh, our parent status in this moment, and we certainly assert our ownership status when it comes with a dog. No, this it has to happen. It's not okay to not do this. Let's say that the dog's nails grow too long, and when he walks, it's actually hurting him. It pushes into the nail bed, and gets infected, and he can't walk properly. It would cause joint issues. I mean, this will get really bad if you don't address it. So, he doesn't like his nails clipped. Now, we shouldn't try to clip his nails. It's, again, it's silly. You can't, you can't just not do that. We can try to make the nail clipping less of a stress factor, and we should. We should see if we can train the dog to give us his paw and accept the clipping and not freak out. Now, if you clip the quick, you probably have to redo everything in terms of training. It can take even longer this time. So you've got to be really careful because you can't always prevent clipping a quick when it comes to especially black nails. You don't necessarily see them, right? So, so you don't see them at all. So with black nails, it's, it's a little bit of a guesswork. So accidents can easily happen even to experienced groomers, even at the vet. It's not that that's preventable. So it's a setback in this case. But yeah, let's train the dog, see if we can train him to hold the paw up and let us clip the nails carefully. Okay, but what if he doesn't consent to training? Well, according to this article, we shouldn't then train that either, and according to this, also clip not the nails, I'm assuming. Uh, again, that's not an option because it will lead to serious injuries, infections and joint issues from not being able to walk properly. So it's got to be addressed. But my dog's not going to consent to any of it. So it, it will have to happen against his will for his own well-being. So his consent to something like that, like a veterinary procedure or a critical grooming procedure, is not relevant. The same goes with training. We could argue that sit down, stay, whatever, may be not that important if my dog doesn't want to do it. You could make that argument because, okay, my dog lives at home, lives on an acre of land, doesn't leave the property, I don't care if he sits or does. Okay, that's a fair point if you, if you want to do that as a person. Um, if you're never going to ask your dog to do these things, okay. Well, what about a recall for emergencies? Let's say there's a car coming and your dog's chasing a squirrel. Or he's chasing something across the street and he will get hit and he will get run over. If I don't have a recourse of some sort, if I don't have trained my dog, well, he shouldn't be loose if I haven't trained him, right? But uh, if I don't have an ability to curtail that in some way, my dog will die in front of a truck. I don't think he'll consent to dying. He just doesn't understand the consequences of his actions. And because he can't understand certain consequences, I can't give him full autonomy in his decisions. So the idea of consent is good up to a point. For some of the things I outlined and things like that, I'm all for it. We, we should absolutely respect certain things. But when it comes to health, well-being, staying alive, and procedures at the vet and grooming and training to accomplish that, it becomes irrelevant if my dog likes it or not. And then the other aspect of that is if my dog doesn't like it, it doesn't mean he wouldn't like it 
if he tried it. Or what we're doing opens up a pathway that otherwise doesn't exist that my dog will have a tremendous quality of life increase from. Let me give an example of this. So I get dogs in for training that often don't know how to play with people. They've never really had proper interactions with people. So they don't know how much fun it can be to play with a person. And when they come in, they don't really want to. They look at a ball or throw it and they're like, I don't know, let's just sit there. And I try to coax them out of it. So according to this, this theory in this article, while the dog has not consented to training, he's bored. Uh, actually, he's not bored. He doesn't know what he's missing. So by just keeping going, eventually I get most dogs to come around. And they'll start playing with me with a toy. Sometimes it remains on the food level, some dogs, but that's not often, usually not the case. Usually I get them on a toy at some point. And then they start chasing the toy and bringing it back. And we'll start playing a version of fetch or chase and catch. And once they're getting into that, they're having a tremendous amount of fun doing it. And they're enjoying it. And it gives them an outlet for their genetic drives. And now they feel fulfilled and they're happier. And they overall are better dogs. They have a better life quality because of that. But that path went through something they didn't consent to. So if I just would have given up and said, well, the dog didn't consent, we would have not opened up his life in a new way, giving him an outlet and giving him fulfillment and making him a better, better being. So we would have given up on all of that by just accepting that he doesn't want to. So that's not appropriate. That is actually harming animal welfare. It is a counterindicator to the well-being that this idea of canine consent supposedly supports. It, if you take the idea too far, it completely backfires. Let's take another example. Uh, let's say rattlesnake avoidance training. If you're here in Southern California, we have lots of rattlesnakes and you go hiking on the trails with your dog, uh, they can get bitten by a rattlesnake pretty easily. I mean, they're everywhere. Right? So it's a really good idea to rattlesnake train your dog before you take him out on the trails. But if your dog doesn't consent to that training, you can't safely do that or you're risking your dog dying every time you go on a trail. And you kind of probably don't want to do that, so you probably don't take him hiking. So now you're forfeiting the benefit of taking your dog out in the wild and hiking. And if you go to the right places where you can, you can even take him off leash when it's allowed. And they forfeit all of that. And they don't have that experience of going in the mountains or going on the trails out in the middle of nowhere, being loose, being a dog, running around and enjoying themselves in a field. They will never have that because they didn't consent to a training aspect, so we gave up or we just accepted that. Again, that is not good for animal welfare. It's, again, the opposite of animal welfare. It will harm our dog's well-being and joy in life in the long run if we just accept stuff like that. So I'm all for factoring in dogs' preferences in their life overall. As I, as I said earlier, a couple of examples with petting and, and touching and the dog being approached and cuddling and stuff like that. All these types of things, absolutely. We don't have to force all these things on dogs if they don't want to. We should respect them enough to allow them to make some of those decisions. As long as their decisions are within a spectrum of acceptable choices. But if there are unacceptable choices in the spectrum of decisions they make, like attacking people or biting people or barking at people when it's inappropriate, 
Well, then we have to again interfere with training if we want to live with our dog and continue to live with our dog, and he may not consent to that. So again, we have to do something against his will, but at the end of it, he'll be better off. Um, I'm not sure how we really got to this point with dogs, because I don't recall we ever went this path with children. I mean, maybe you have at this point and I missed it, but when I was a kid, uh, I certainly fell off a bike and I was encouraged to get back on. I'm glad my parents did because I ended up loving riding my bike. Um, when I learned to rollerblade, while well, I was older then, I was self-motivated, but I fell, I had padding and everything, but had protection. But yeah, I got back up and continued. I loved rollerblading. Um, when I learned to swim, I mean, somebody helped me. I didn't like being in a pool at first, and then I didn't like going swimming in the beginning because I wasn't good at it. But then I learned, became good at it because I was encouraged or made to do it. And that is such a benefit to life to just have somebody push you to do something that you may not want to do in this moment because they know. Once you discover the joy of it and develop some skills in it, you're going to love it and it's going to enrich your life. So accepting that a dog doesn't want to do something, I think should always be taken in the context of, is this actually better or worse for him if we let him make this choice? Or can we let the dog make this choice? Is this a choice we can allow? So to, to just accept blank check on canine consent, which the article kind of did. It was really everything. The dog should consent on every level. Is absolutely ridiculous. You can't do that for the outland reasons. So I think the, the art did it, the question in terms of canine consent should always be, is A, is the choice that my dog makes in a situation acceptable? even if it's not the choice I would have wanted him to make, but is it an acceptable choice? If the answer is yes, it may be fair to let him do it. If it's his preference, okay. But two, if the choice leads to forfeiting tremendous joy down the line that my dog just doesn't know, I think the answer should be no. We should not accept the dog just, I don't want this. We should work with him and encourage him to explore it, like it, and make him explore this more because it will lead to more enjoyment down the line. So I think it's important to do the same thing that we hopefully do with a kid. Encourage him to explore, encourage him to try, encourage him to do further and to go further and do more because we know it's going to benefit you. It's going to make your life better. You're going to have more joy, more freedom, more enjoyment. It's going to be overall better for you if you just power through here and, and, and get into this. Because we know and you don't. We know better. Huh? Um, and lastly, obviously, mandatory things like vet care or training for biting and aggressive things that you just can't have. But medical care, emergency treatments, important grooming like nail clipping can be super important for health reasons because it will become a health issue if it's not done. And then certain training for like, certain behavioral issues that you just can't live with. These are mandatory. It's not up to the dog at this point. It's not up to if he likes it or not. It's either this or you're going to be in serious health problems or we can't have you here anymore because you're too dangerous. Right? So consent up to a point. There is limits. 
And in this article that I'm going to post here, there were no limits. It was basically a free for all on consent. And that is, that is literally insane. So uh, I have a strong opinion of that, clearly. I'm all for it where it's possible, but there have to be limits. And um, that's just a reasonable approach to this. That's my view on canine consent. Um, I'm sure it's going to get a few people worked up, but that's okay. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, that's my rant. I don't think I have a rant podcast before, but that was my first rant podcast. So here it is. And uh, let me know what you think. Talk to you next time. Bye.